podcast where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. My name is Carrie Dubiel and today we are talking with four fantasy authors, an embarrassment of fantasy author riches. Our guest author today is Matthew Wolf and we are joined by Writing Block members Tahani Nelson, Catherine Forrester, and Liz Karen. How's everybody doing today? Hi, great. Great, thank you for having me. Awesome. So I want to go through each of you and uh, have each of you talk about what you write and how it relates to our topic today. Why don't we just go down my list? Cause I've got you all on my screen in a list. So we'll start with Catherine. All right. Well, hi. Um, thanks for having me. So I write fantasy mostly and science fiction. Um, but uh, I've loved fantasy all my life, grew up reading it, watching it, any format possible. And I have uh, two fantasy books that are coming out um, 2021 and 2022. I've written a dark fantasy called Lodestone that's coming out 2021, which is considered high fantasy um, relevant to the topic today. And then a low fantasy book called The Hand-Me-Down Maiden will be coming out 2022. Uh, Yeah, lots of fantasy stuff. Yay, we have to talk about dark stuff. (laughs) So much darkness. So much. Uh, Cool. Tahani? Uh, My name is Tahani Nelson. I am the author of the Fai Chronicles, which are a female-led military fantasy series. I also do some science fiction and various short stories in different anthologies. And my books really aren't high fantasy, but I do a lot of low fantasy and science fiction. Cool. I can't wait for you guys to tell me the difference between high and low fantasy. (laughs) The librarian really should know these things, but I don't. Um, Okay, Matthew. Uh, Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Matthew Wolf. I am uh, the author of the Ronin Saga. It's a four book series currently, uh, nine planned in theory. And it is a story that has uh, it's very much high fantasy, its own languages, worlds, flora, fauna. And it's really about these kind of three friends who have these kind of elemental powers. And now they have to go find the others in these grand elemental kingdoms. So and now I'm uh, just finished the fourth and working on the fifth. Cool. And Liz. Okay. Um, my name is Liz Karen, and I'm the author of the Phantom Forest series. I can now say it as a series because um, I'm working on the sequel now. The first book came out in July of 2019. Um, And in addition to the sequel to Phantom Forest, which was, that one was a speculative fantasy, I would say. So like kind of as Tahani was saying, low fantasy as opposed to high fantasy is my kind of my jam, but um, certainly elements of high fantasy find their way peppered into all of my work uh, just because of my influences. And yeah, so the other book I'm currently working on that going to shop it to editors in January or February, fingers crossed, is a very grounded fantasy horror about a mother and a daughter. Um, it's a YA coming of age. Um, so my, my tastes kind of run the gamut, but it's always character driven stories with a, you know, a fantastical genre twist. And they often run pretty dark. Awesome. That sounds great. So I guess being familiar with high fantasy, I've always thought of it as like Tolkien, swords and sorcery type things. So for our listeners and then me, who's a little clueless, tell me somebody, tell me a little bit about that distinction between high and low. I've read almost all of your books. You know, I know what appeals to me, I guess, about the different books, but the high fantasy part is not so much what's interesting to me as much as the relationships between the characters. So that was a little rambly, but somebody wants to elaborate on that. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a collaborative effort. So I'm down to set a little bit of bedrock and then people can really fill in where all the airs and kind of, I feel I've always had a tough time because I, I say epic fantasy or high fantasy and they're, they're pretty much the same um, distinction in my mind. Uh, I started with high fantasy. So like I went from the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and straight into like real time in these 13, 14 book series. 
and from what I understand, like the distinction is typically it's entirely its own world. Um, so that's usually the start basis, you know, there's not, um, you know, middle earth, um, Roshar, these worlds that are, and then from there you have to create everything from the ground up, um, typically. And that's like to the high extent from, um, what food they eat, what, like you have to be able to have every manners and every saying. And so I think a lot of the appeal, especially as a kid, that it was, it was, you know, and I wouldn't say the purest cause you know, jumping, you know, every, every form is different, but it was a way of being like, okay, I could explore into this world. And it has, aside from everyone being humans, there's humans usually often, everything is entirely of its own creation. So I can totally escape. And, uh, yeah, other than that, I think very much like it is hard for epic fantasy to stay character based because, um, sometimes there's so many uh, cities and towns and languages and so many things to be tackling. So those are the good ones. And I'm very much like Liz and like a few other people were mentioning, like I'm a character driven. That's how I read and that's how I like to write. But yeah, I think for me, it's just a, it's, it's entirely its own world. Um, and uh, kind of goes from there. I think the main distinction is if it takes place in a fictional world or if it's in the real world, um, low fantasy is generally it takes place in the real world in the grounded but has fantasy elements peppered in and then i think that's the main difference and then i've heard it referred to like a sidecar of this of low fantasy is like portal fantasy where it's like chronicles of narnia and harry potter where this Mm -hmm. there's a world existing adjacent to our world and it's like okay well how do we access that and what does it represent so another distinction i suppose i had always learned that high fantasy specifically has fantastical beasts or things that are other than human in their worlds which apparently is not exactly correct i guess i didn't know what high fantasy versus low fantasy was but i considered my books low fantasy because while there are humans and there's slight magic there's not any dragons there's no orcs or anything other than human and that was such a a huge part of a lot of high fantasy is the idea of fantastic creatures yeah i never really thought about that i'm thinking about martin of course and in many ways it seems like it fits the definition of epic but then there are a lot of things in that series that kind of go outside the norm of it each of you seem to have a different definition of high versus low and um you also each one of you has a different world that you've built and for some of you you have multiple worlds that you've built so i'm gonna skip i'm I, we've got some questions that we're talking about but i'm gonna skip down to world building because i feel like <laughs> i want to know more about that <laughs> i think that is a distinctive feature of any kind of fantasy in that it is that kind of separate world or it's a portal um i'm i'm thinking of caitlin platt's books um equitas series that where she has like the high fantasy world alongside our our regular world and then there's also like a future world that all three of those worlds can be accessed so that's really cool so if someone wants to jump in and talk about how do you do that how do you start from scratch with no world well the way I started my world building for Phantom Forest came from a character um, that I, you know, there, there's a, a form of wish fulfillment, I think, to the way that the world building of Phantom Forest works because it answers a lot of questions about life and death, you know, uh, what happens to us in the next cycle of our life, what happens to our soul, etc. So, um you know, I began with a character whose objective was to burn down the tree of life. That's like where it all began. And I'm like, why does it came from an image I kind of that just kind of sprang into my head one day while I was driving. And I'm like, why would a person do this? You know, what would what would possess someone to, to, uh, you know, take that that risk, take that journey. And then I just kind of built this whole life after death fantasy world around the shape of this character I was starting to form. Um, and so for me, that's the way it felt the most organic was imagining her moving through it and what she wanted out of it. My, my process is, is similar 
where I start with either a character or a concept or both um, and just build outward from there. With Lodestone, I came up with just this question of um, what if somebody could sell their raw magic, not a magical item or, you know, anything like that. We're not doing spells for people for money, but just that pure power. And what if somebody had to sell that power for not just for financial gain, but to make a living. And so my world based on that became a, um, I, I wanted to have a city that was very gritty, that would be very difficult for this character to live in so that she would have to do whatever she could to scrape by. And everything just built on from there. So I definitely like um, to start with the story and build outward based on what I need, what I realize um, is going to factor into the story. And so that I don't have a lot of unnecessary aspects, you know, I don't need to know every single tiny little infinitesimal part of, of the world to be able to write a good story. So I start with the story. I like that. I think that's really interesting because a lot of people ask, like with my fantasy, like there, it's okay. Like I want to know um, more about this city or that city or these characters. And I think a lot of times, like I really don't <laughs> as an author generally, you know, as a, we're all like painting. I think I heard uh, Neil Gaiman talking about like we're painting little smudges of a mountain in the background and imagining that like we know every single crag and cliff all the way up. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I definitely don't. So for me, well, I started writing when I was 18. So I really had, I had, all I did was just, I was like, I, I love fantasy. It, it did start like both of you guys are mentioning. I, I totally agree with that and resonates with me. I loved, I, I've always had this kind of elemental like pitch and I always like it, but I've seen it done a lot. So I had this idea of elements of flesh and metal in addition to like, you know, wind and water and fire. And it just seemed kind of cool to me. Um, and I was like, all right, that's cool. That's cool. But what is something, what about like these heroes and like everyone's, I do like, I do take a little bit of a, I'm trying to, <laughs> I think I'm trying to like revert away from like a little bit of the Game of Thrones. I love the gritty and I love the shades of gray and I love dynamic characters. And I'm like, that's being more and more implemented in my world. But I started reading because I loved like honorable characters who I believed in and then followed in. And so that kind of like, I really wanted to make a character who could face like these insurmountable odds and wouldn't bend, would bend, but wouldn't break ultimately. So that it, mine was just started with a character who was just like, cool, I'm an 18 year old. I want to be this guy. Uh, and then after seven or eight years of writing, uh, I realized, you know, like he evolved and became more dynamic and, um, but since then, um, yeah, I think after that, it was I, I, I liked the hero twist. But I, I, as I was evolving these kind of nine heroes called the Ronin, who have these different elemental powers, and they've been dead for a thousand years. And there's kind of like this cool, uh, like, who were they really? And they guarded the different cities, city of water for the city, uh, had the Ronin of water and so forth. Ultimately, I was, I, I was like, what if these guys weren't the heroes? What if they were actually the dark legends? So I, I kind of ended up folding a little bit anyway, and uh, you know, going a little bit of a pseudo anti-hero, a little grim dark. Um, but ultimately, now it's the it's the quest of these eighteen year olds who are reborn um, to not follow in the footsteps of their predecessors. Um, so trying to rebel against the kind of anti-hero nature that uh, their past was. So yeah, so I guess long answer, rambling answer short. Like I think I agree. I think everyone's, uh, you know, you start with a, an image or a character. Um, you don't paint every, I have so many people who used to come up to my table and they'd be like, Oh, you know, I know how to, you know, I have a story, but in the open up a notebook and it's 5,000 pages long. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> because, you know, I know what that's like. And, you know, it's looked at an amazing story, but putting pen to paper after those 5,000 pages is almost daunting because you've been thinking about it for 5 million years. I did the opposite and kind of dumbly just started writing. Um, so yeah, I think long answer short, I think uh, that's, how, that's how I started. I think I'm the opposite in that I knew what society I had to begin with. I knew I wanted to write a military, militaristic society where women are taught to be warriors from a young age and then created a character who lived within that society. I wanted to know what she would be like or how she would live her daily life and what would happen if somebody attacked from the outside. And then in the second book, I knew what this society was like 200 years after the first book. 
and I wanted to show what happens to a society in the aftermaths of a war. And I wanted to show how uh, lies can be twisted and how stories can be twisted or changed over 200 years and then wanted to show how a person in that society would survive. So I think that I build them backwards from the rest of you and that I write the world first and then the people inside of them. I love how you did that, though. And Faye Betrayer, I'm not saying that right. Um, but as between the two books, how you created that, those two worlds that were so far apart in time, and then you managed to link them up by the end of the story. It was masterful. Thank you. And I do enjoy making worlds. Like, there's a reason I created an entire language to fit my matriarchal society and then used like six words in it. I have a lot going on in the background, but that doesn't mean that all of it has to show up in the book itself. I'm not going to put it in an entire dictionary, but yeah, it's the, it's the iceberg analogy, you know, yeah, all the, the similarion behind Lord of the Rings that creates. So it's kind of like the classic question of, so are we, I guess, is, is it like pantsing? I guess world building kind of comes down to the classic question of, do you outline or do you pants it? Do you just, do you just write from the, from the hip? Yeah, I'm also a cancer. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I know what's going on in my head, but I have no idea what's gonna happen to the characters until three pages after they did it. I'm like, oh that was dumb. You guys are <laughs> terrible at this. <laughs> I, I latched onto something Matthew said a couple minutes ago where, you know, it's just like, oh, you got five thousand pages of like a world building tome, but now you gotta mm -hmm. actually write the narrative and like <laughs> that to me is nightmare inducing. Um, and so I would just that's so I'm a complete world building pantser, but a narrative plotter. So like I'm really good about forcing myself into a structure with a, you know, with a narrative with like, here's what my character's doing. Here's what she wants. Here's the problem, blah, blah, blah. But then like, in terms of the world, I kind of just let it, I kind of let the flowers bloom around me as I walk through it, if that makes any sense. That's a lovely way of putting it. That's gorgeous. I had an analogy, but I think I like that better. I was going to say, it's kind of like, you know, if you're an architect, which is, you know, the classic analogy you're trying to build. But if I'm like designing every single room and every single like staircase, everything, I'm like, oh man, uh, someone's got to lift a hammer eventually. And that's got to be me. And, and more, not even, not even the hard part. It's more like the daunting part of like, am I going to do it right? Because it looks so good. And because I can like, I see all the lines and see it almost like, it's almost like a perfection thing. Like now in my mind, it looks so good. Can my writing match that vision? But if I like take out the the outlining part, and now I outline way more, so I'm kind of lying as I'm talking. I have like a I have like a perfect um, like fl like mode. I need to outline now. I try to outline a chapter just enough so it's going to fit in with a nine book series um, that's going to be true to the character, but not enough enough where there's enough like je ne sais quoi mystery where I can surprise myself as I'm writing it and surprise my beta readers. Uh, if it's too much, then I'm like, I just, I either, I, I feel like I'm, I'm losing some of the, some of the spark. So with the, the world and all of you have highly developed worlds and do you get feedback from readers? Like that cup wasn't in the right place in the tavern, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> I have a really funny thing that happened in Phantom Forest, which is that a reader caught a, a silly, crazy mistake that me and all my editors missed, which was in the underworld in my story, the sun rises and sets in opposite areas. So east and west are flopped. And there's one point where it just kind of gets scrambled on purpose in the story, like the character gets confused. And then I got confused. And then my editor got confused and then he changed it. Then I changed it back. Then the copy editor changed it again. So I don't know what the hell it ended up as. And one of my readers messaged me on Instagram and he was like, I just, can you answer this question for me? And I was like, I got to tell you something. I think that might be a mistake. <laughs> I can resonate with that so much. <laughs> I like, I went back and I had them, uh, same thing that happened, but actually Luckily, I caught this one a little bit before. That yours is much more subtle. I had them; uh, they're all writing. Originally, they were walking to a place, and I was like, <laughs> "One of my readers like doesn't make sense. They should get horses." 
So they're all on horses. <laughs> and of course, you know, like a few pages later, where'd the horses go? Where'd, oh, uh, no. <laughs> they like on horses, off horses, on horses. Uh, so that's like the most common thing that happens, you know, like green cloaks becomes red cloak because you, you change it. But yeah. I think the worst thing that happens with me is I do get a lot of hate comments about matriarchal societies, specifically uh, female-led military fantasy. I get a lot of usually men that tell me all the reasons why that wouldn't work or why that's dumb or why I'm a feminazi. And it happens a lot, but I also I can't hear them over how fast I'm typing another book. So I guess that's the biggest thing that I get is just that when you create something that's different from the norm, some people will see it as a threat more than something entertaining, but you just have to find the people that find it as entertaining, find your people and ignore the rest. Yeah, that's a great point. That's very unfortunate that you get those kinds of comments, but the fact that they just you just deflect them off like they're off of a shield, you know, and you just keep going. It's fuel for the fire. And honestly, this, I don't know if I should say this, but every time I get a particularly bad one, I usually just be like, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with today. And I sell like 10 books. So that's cool. You guys can keep doing that. I, most of my friends, right. Well, I have to say, since you guys are all my friends now, too, I know more fantasy writers and more horror writers, but my writing before I got into the writing block community was mostly mystery writers, and they get a lot of, like, there was a typo on page 62, or, you know, so I just wondered if there was any world building type things, and that's, those are funny stories, and with Tahani, yours being more, more serious, but you know, the fact that the commentary is there, it's just different for everyone, genre notwithstanding. So it's interesting. I have to assume that science fiction, especially hard sci-fi, gets the most people that come in out of nowhere saying, hey, this isn't how that would work because you're actually in real things, like real yeah, laws of physics at that mm-hmm. point, and that's, what, that's why I don't write hard sci-fi because I, I barely know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intimidated mm-hmm. by that. I I completely feel that. That's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um I have an, another book, a science fiction book called Curious Citizen. That's the dates to be released. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but I've been working on developmental edits, and it's not hard sci-fi, but it is still based heavily um a lot of my concepts are based in science and that's one reason i love science fiction but there have definitely been several different points when i've been working with editors where they've called me out on something not making sense and then other times where i've called them out on Mm -hmm. them calling me out and then i'm like no here's the proof like this is how this works (laughs) so it's just kind of this back and forth a little bit um so i am a little intimidated by what readers might say once the book is released but (laughs) it'll be an adventure yeah, you just never know. Every book, it's reader. Every reader, their book. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just think that it's it's so interesting hearing everyone's like take on it because I mean everyone's. I think generally when you the more animated you have, the, li- the last thing I want is someone who's like meh. Like I, I like they can't put any emotion into it. The very fact that it's a honey's you're getting such you know rabid people is usually it's like you know it's kind of cliche but it's true like. If someone's really passionate about it, then they were like, they were invested enough to care. Oh, no. The first time I got like a death thread online, I printed oh it off and I framed wow. it. I'm like, look, I made it as an author. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Both highs and those lows. I mean, I even have, like, I think the thing that's harder for me, like, there's always random people who are like, you know, oh, this, this character, you know, I don't know. I can't even think of, I can't think of anything bad about my books. Uh, no, I was kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the things that are coming to mind, um, especially book one, like, because there are, it's a little bit more of like, uh, an intro into fantasy. It's like your classic fantasy. And then of course it gets, it has some darker, grim, dark elements. But my book one is, is like, is kind of uh, classic, especially in a day and age where people are looking for like, how is this different than anything I've ever read before? And then, of course, it really it, it delves into some some cool, fun aspects. But I think the thing that I, I face most and that I'm most emotionally uh, reactive towards is fans, um, people who are already invested in the series. Like, I have fans who are like, you know, you did, you know, this character, like, totally right or totally wrong in this chapter. 
And uh, yeah, I can very much, you know, really because <laughs> you're 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 in, especially if you're their beta readers, you're like you're like opening the door and you're like pulling back your armor a little bit to like something that's raw and more vulnerable, um, and for them to either you know love it or hate it. And, um, but everyone has an opinion too. I, I definitely realized that like one chapter, it was like everyone loved Helix. And then like four other people were like, I hated Helix. I'm like, nobody knows what they want. Never <laughs> <laughs> yeah. please everybody. And you have yeah. to keep that in mind or else you will go crazy. You cannot exactly. please everybody. So try to please yourself and see if that works. Yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> yeah. I've been reading these books. Maybe one of you knows how to pronounce his last name. I think it's David Goffrin. Or is it? Garin, it's um he does a lot of books on independent publishing and he talks about finding that ideal reader and i found that so very interesting you know that you're targeting a very specific fan the kind of person who will be so invested in your book and they might have very strong reactions and they might not always be good but they're invested in what what you're doing. And I thought that was interesting, you know, as a librarian, because I'm always trying to match the right books with the right readers. And thinking about that for my book, I kind of had this nebulous idea of who would want to read it. I was like, people like me will want to read it. <laughs> but, I, you know, I now I, I'm a little bit more focused on who that target demographic is. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that something that's interesting about indie publishing in particular is this idea that like when you are putting a new work out into the world, you as the author are expected to be able to say who your target target audience is. Like you are asked really early, who would read this book? And, you know, I kind of found that the answer I gave early on when I was pitching it and putting it all together was different than the answer I got after it being out in the world for six months because it was marketed as, you know, a dark YA fantasy. But I got to say that the the biggest fans and the people I've had the strongest reactions from were a little older than that. I think they yeah. were, you know, mid to mid to late 20s and, you know, people in their 30s, 40s and beyond. Like I, you know, on the Amazon page or wherever you find it, it says like ages 14 to 18, but I don't know. I, I think that it, it transcends YA and I'm happy for that. Very happy for that. Um, but definitely who I thought my target reader was, hmm. was, it was different when all said and done. That's interesting. YA is hard to nail down sometimes especially since there's so much crossover in the audience. Absolutely. I mean, at my library, so I purchased the adult fiction and frequently I will have to purchase copies of young adult titles for my collection. And then the young adult librarians get mad because they're like, why did you buy that book? You know, I'm supposed to be getting the circ for it. And I said, well, my patrons have holds on the titles. So I, if they have to wait for your copy to become available, they're going to wait forever because the YA department doesn't have as big of a budget as I do. So there's just so much crossover. And I agree, Liz, I think your book resonated with me a lot more than other YA books have. I, it was very deep in the mortality, you know, the meaning of life and the forest. There was a lot of strong imagery there. Yeah. I, I appreciate your perspective as a librarian on that um, because I do tend to straddle genres and audiences a lot. And it's just, yeah, it's fascinating to me to hear your experience with that too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it, it's really different from the author side. Sometimes I get muddled between whether I'm on writer side or librarian side. And sometimes I'm very clearly on one side or another. And when it comes to genre, like I'm very much a jack of all trades kind of person. I read everything and I'm I'm always trying to match up those readers with the right resources. But then when it comes to writing, I am the crime fiction lady. <laughs> like I am just, I'm super into crime fiction and that's what I write. So it's, it's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about series because that is kind of, 
it's a good segue because it's kind of a place where crime fiction and fantasy overlap in that readers get very interested and invested in series and characters. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about, we talked a little bit about how the world building goes, but how how is your structure for a series? You know that you will have, you know, three books in a series or nine books or whatever it is. And do you write the whole arc at once or does it develop kind of more naturally? I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, so I was working with an editor. I had um, written a, an entire trilogy at one point and I had the character arcs that went from book one to book three and the, I mean, the whole thing plot wise and everything. And I had the first book and editor looked at it and they said that, you know, you have to have the, a character arc in book one and you need such and such plot, you know, in book one to have it resolved. And I was like, well, I have that exact thing, but it's, it's arcs all across all three. And they gave some really good advice. They said, well, if you don't have a solid book one from beginning to end, then there is going to be no book two or book three. And I took that to heart. Um, and so all the books that I've written since then have been standalone, but with uh, op- endings that leave it open where there could be sequels if they do well. And that's a really pragmatic way to look at it. But I think it's, it's good advice. Uh, and I've tried to follow that. I like that. I've, I've heard that too. Everyone's always like, it's the same thing. People come to my table and like, I have a 25 book series planned. I'm like, that's awesome. If you don't get <laughs> that sentence and then the next sentence and the next sentence, interesting, your other 24 books are going to be a fantastic doorstop. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I resonate with that. So I, when I started writing again, like because my first book took eight years and rewriting and rewriting, I had like all the classic things. I was, I wanted to do a trilogy because you know, that's what Lord of the Rings was. And, so I even went on and RoaninTrilogy.com um, was going to be my site, but actually it was it was taken. Uh, so so something as uh, simple as that was kind of one of the reasons why I was like, all right, well maybe maybe it's the Ronin saga. Um, and then as I kind of evolved the story and kind of and, and as it continued, because there's um, nine elemental cities and there's nine elemental characters and. Uh, spoiler alert! It's not that much of a spoiler. Uh, it's probably on the Amazon link that uh, the main character finds out he has wind, and so he has to go find the others in each city. So each book, book two was Citadel Fire, so he had to go to the City of Fire. Book three, City of Sun, Bastion of Sun. So each book kind of revolves around going to these different um, cities. So it kind of, it, it created this nice core for everyone, you know, like, okay, each one is going to be like Harry Potter-esque, you know, like, I, we have to go, it's all about the Goblet of Fire, and it's all about this. And so, it, um, but as I've continued on, because my characters and I'm, kind of answering the last question, there was a little bit of the target audience thing was, was such an interesting question. I kind of rebel against it. <laughs> I'm kind of anti-target audience. Every, every time I like, I squirm inside when someone asks me what my target audience is because I mean, my characters are 18, 19, 20. So that's like, you know, all right, that's who you're writing to. But you know, it's kind of like, to me, it's kind of like a, like a, like a toy story movie. Obviously toy story is young and everything, but no one would say, Oh, it's just young. Like there's all these, deeper themes, um, especially if anyone's read the, or watched the scene when they're going slowly into the, the furnace. Uh, <laughs> Makes me cry every time. I know. <laughs> I know, thinking about it. So, uh, yeah, so I try to, I, you know, of course, adding all these themes and everything. And, and so ultimately, who comes up to my table? Anyone who likes good fantasy books. Uh, you know, they're sometimes they're 13 and sometimes they're 70. So, um, so yeah, so my series just started with a character and, uh, and, and now really in book four, I have to be kind of really pragmatic about, um, who, what I'm adding in because I know there's so many things that can, uh, I can trip up with, uh, characters and scenes and, and plot lines. Um, ultimately I think I'm going to probably, you know, this is a big spoiler if anyone is a fan of my series that I don't think I'm going to do a whole nine books because <laughs> I don't want to be invested for the next, you know, seven years. In the same series, um, and if I do do nine, I think I'm doing six or seven. Uh, I would be writing other series on the side. Um, so yeah, I think I just you just uh, you follow what what feels for for me it was a formula of these different elemental cities and the different characters 
uh, and then I just kind of bucked the system. I did this uh, did this thing when I wrote the first Phantom Forest book, being very aware that the story would continue, and I ideally wanted to do three, and I knew where everything was going to end up. But similar to uh, what Catherine said, I knew I had to button up a really solid narrative arc in my book one, or yeah, there wasn't going to be a book two or three. Um, so I did this thing where I ended the story in a way I hope very satisfying and characters, you know, end up where they ought to and it's over. But then I added an epilogue that was initially supposed to be a teaser chapter from the second book that I had started working on. And we decided to rename it as epilogue because we wanted to show very clearly that we were leaving the door open. Um, but we did wrap up the events of book number one. Um, so I kind of tried to have it both ways. Now, the thing that has happened, though, because this epilogue is so clearly like holding the door open for future installments, then I get a lot of readers asking like, well, when's the next one coming out? And I'm just still working on it. So <laughs> that's kind of, you know, because I didn't go into it with a three book deal. When you do indie publishing, when you work with a smaller press, you kind of just got to, you just got to go with God and you just got to be like, well, if people love this one, then I'm going to continue working on it. But similarly to what Matthew was just saying, like, I'm writing other books. I'm also a playwright and a screenwriter. I'm really busy. And I'm just like, if it's worth it and, and my heart is in it, I'm going to keep writing these books. And so it was worth it. My heart is still in it and I'm still going, but like, it's kind of my, um, it's, it's not my day job to write the Phantom Forest books. So it's, it's going to take a minute. So sometimes I, I don't regret writing that epilogue, but sometimes I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just <laughs> glaring. It's just, it's mocking me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think is at least for me and, and a lot of fancy authors that I know that we've talked about this, that we do love those big epic series. Like there are so many good examples and especially high fantasy that just have these huge worlds, big, big doorstopper books, you know, but, but that we just get so immersed in. And a lot of fantasy fans are that way. And I think as myself as an author, I would love to write huge series with big world building and all that. But we do have to consider the the business end of things, um, too. So I think any uh, aspiring authors would need to take that to heart, because I wish that I did that before I wrote an entire trilogy back when I first started. That <laughs> uh, you know, one that will never see the light of day, most likely. Um, but yeah, you learn as you go. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that's so interesting about your. You, you, there's there's something too about, you know, some people say fail quickly and big, right? And so <laughs> a lot of people are always recommend when I when I first started, I ran into this guy. He's like, you know, just write six bad books, and then on your seventh, it's going to be amazing, you know. So like, in some ways, like that, but no one ever wants to start that way. No one's no one's going to start writing a book like I'm going to write three really bad books. And <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Uh, like, and and then also like you only get better by putting intention and, and actually trying, like you can't practice by something. You can't like, I'm going to practice on the piano for, you know, three years, but the t first two years, I'm just going to bang my head on the piano. Like you aren't <laughs> get any better. So I think you really have to like, you know, especially for me, I was like, I'm going to write the next, you know, uh, Tolkien ass thing. And I, I'm lucky that I was able to rewrite it enough that it's not, uh, <laughs> that it's good. Hopefully, uh, you know, obviously I'm a little bit of bias. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's a lot that 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 Catherine and that Liz are both saying. Like you want to, you don't want to get locked into something, but at the same time, you want to keep something going that people love. Um, so it's always like, when do you make the correct exit? Um, and and it's it's tough. Um, and I also think whenever I think about writing a new series, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of um, in in this community. The I don't know Gen Getty Tartavoski. He's the same one who did like Powerpuff Girls and. Uh, <laughs> All that stuff. Anyway, uh, he he did this. He was super popular in the kind of animation community, and they're all like, uh, "He's like, oh, I did the power, I did the Dexter's Laboratory," and everyone's like, "Cool, keep writing, doing that forever." And he's like, "Nope, I'm gonna do something new." 
And they're like, you made something amazing. You like, just keep, keep milking that cow. Uh, and he's like, no. And so we did something new and they're like, okay, Powerpuff Girls, that's it. That's the one. Stay with that forever. And then he's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> and he, he's like, look back at it. He's like, think about it. If I stopped whenever you guys told me to stop, then I would never have had these new amazing things. Um, so there is this balance though between, between, you know, like staying with something beautiful and amazing uh, and, and, and risking it on something new. And I think that's yeah. very true of entertainment in general, not just books, but like you said, television, animation, movies as well. Is like when you're a creator and you have something a lot of people respond to, the powers that be immediately just say like, okay, don't move. Don't even breathe. You made something successful. Just do that. And that's not how exactly. our, that's not how our brains are built creatively. We are always growing. I'm not, I don't want to write the same thing I was writing 10 years ago when I was like in film school. No, like we, we grow, we have to. And if you do stay with the same thing long enough, we could definitely see this, especially in film and media is eventually you hit the point where you jump the shark and you lose that magic that everybody expects. And then oh, yeah. mm -hmm. if you're going right. to go out, you That's might true. as well go out on top. Like, well, it's still something amazing before you and everyone around you hates it. <laughs> Yeah, not I mean, too specific with what we're referring to, but we all know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I definitely. There are so many shows that I've given up on. I'm not a big TV watcher, so when I get invested in something, then I get really invested in it, and then when it starts to be bad. It's really disappointing. And then you have like this nostalgia for that first season where it was lovely and new and different. Right. And same thing with crime fiction. I'm thinking about it's very, it, a lot of mystery authors have the same problem. I'm thinking about a lot of the big sellers at my library, Janet Ivanovich, like everybody's so sick of the same love triangle for the last 26 books. Um, but they keep reading it because they expect that experience that they had when they first started reading it, when they first discovered it. So it's interesting how different authors kind of riff off of what they've already done and have a similar, bring a similar feeling to it while also doing something different. Like the um, Dexter and the Powerpuff Girls, definitely. <laughs> I can, I can see that that same or like, Adventure Time and regular show, that mm -hmm. that kind of thing. That it's fun for the people who were fans of the other show. Yeah, that is cool too. You can bring people into the new series, and I also like from a from a writer's point of view, like monetarily. Um, like I love my book one, and it's you know it's a lot of people's favorites. I think purely because it's a, like it's just the, the origin story, and I think that's just case the case of a lot of things and. But I think there's some nostalgia too. Like some people have been reading it. It's been out for four or five years and they're like, um, so people like remember it almost more fondly than it is. And so, um, but yeah, I think, I think when you start something new, then you bring hopefully as much of your fan base into something new and then a new fan base that is like, you know, starting something fresh. And I think it's scary as an author. I say all this with like, yeah, start something new, but I'm doing that now. And it's like, all right. Okay. And there's like, as a, learning how to ride a bike. Like obviously like my writing and my, my plotting and so much has gotten better. Um, I feel so much stronger as an author, but some of these characters that I wrote are like writing in, in, in the Ronan saga are like writing. It's second nature to, to write Faye and, and, and Darius and these roguish characters. And so to start someone entirely new is like, okay, who are you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to do a new, I only write standalones right now. Although I did experiment with series, Back in the day when I was writing all my bad books, this story, I've got this story in my head, but I am having a really hard time getting the character right. And it is daunting. Like when you're looking at, I like to use Save the Cat and kind of do like a rough structure, maybe with a few scenes here and there, and then uh, do a little bit more planning. Like as I start writing, you know, I'm very into like going back and forth between planning and um, pantsing. But I, um, I, it's just sometimes hard to get into that person's head, that new person, you know, you're still getting to know each other, especially when you have a giant cast of fantasy characters. That, yeah. one, that must be hard. Do you guys have any tips and tricks for getting inside your character's head? I always from, from others. I kind of, I did a funny thing. Um, not a funny thing, a thing that worked, but 
when I started writing my new book, which is a standalone, so it's not a Phantom Forest book, I was really having trouble shifting gears and learning who this new character was and inhabiting her personality and her brain. And Phantom Forest, all, you know, those books are all written third person. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to start kind of doing stream of consciousness stuff with this new one in first person, present tense. I, you know, I am here. I am doing this. I am feeling this. And I ended up just writing the whole book that way. And it was great. So, you know, it was just like, I just wanted to break up the rhythm of how I had been writing previously. And sometimes just changing the tense and the POV just completely flips your brain to a different space. I like that. It's a good idea. I think one of the best ways to get into a character's head is to write a scene that you don't actually expect to be in the book at all. Something just completely crazy, but finding out how the character would react to that situation. And I don't know, that's a something I do a lot with brand new characters is I put them in a, a situation I never expect them to. Like suddenly, I don't really do naval battles very much, but suddenly put them on a ship and have them fight a naval battle and see... Mm-hmm. How are they going to do when they're, they've never been on the ocean before? And that helps me at least to understand them. Because if I write all of my characters in the same basic world, they all start to feel the same. And I need them to be different. So oh, I yeah, like that's that. Really interesting. That's a good idea. These are great answers. I'm glad I asked. I'm going to steal all of them. So I'm going to put someone in a naval battle. It's even better if they're not a warrior type character. I know. You got a farmer and he's just like, oh God. What would I do if I was in a naval battle? I'd probably get probably get hit by a cannon and (laughs) fall into the ocean. (laughs) My husband's really into this game called Sea of Thieves, which is like a pirate game. My stepson loves that game. (laughs) He's obsessed. It's so weird. It's a it's a weird game. Like I I, I get seasick from first person games for some reason. And I, so I can't play it. Do you get double seasick because it's like pirates on the sea? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like Aww. I can't watch him play it. Like I, I, he's like, it's such a good game. I'm like, I, I believe you. <laughs> but I can't play it. But I, we get excited about pirates around here. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, there you go. Put your characters in naval battles just to see gonna, how they go. I'm going to try it. I love it. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to delete it anyway. And there's so much freedom in writing something that you know you're going to delete. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of creative freedom there that we don't often get when we feel like everything we have to or everything we put on paper has to be on point. So creating something specifically knowing that you can do anything and no one's going to see it is really, it's nice. It's a nice way to get through writer's block as well, just to remember that you are capable of writing, even though you might not feel like you're capable of writing the scene you know you need to get through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think writing a lot of, you know, deleted scenes in early drafts for me is completely part of the process. And I consider that part of the writing. Like, yeah, they're they're gone now, but that was all part of it. It counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think with world building, that that's very important too. Um, just like we were talking about earlier, but it's you, you write a lot of scenes that have all this world building that might have a setting or a conversation that has a lot of other language words or, or whatever. And you may end up cutting that scene completely for the story's sake, but that's how I world build um, a lot is through trial and error. But, you know, just if I wrote that scene, then at least I know for other scenes that I can still incorporate some of the things that I learned about the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like I always use analogies since I started. It kind of feels like sifting for gold, you know, and you like, especially when you're writing something that's totally new, you, it's a lot of dirt and there's a little tiny nugget of gold and you like save that. You're like, even if it's just a line of that sea battle that you wrote, you're like, that's a cool line. I'm going to take that and use that later. <laughs> I like comparing it to piling up sand so that you can make sand castles. You don't use all of that sand or later, but you need it all on a pile before you can carve off the parts you care about. You're much more humble than I am. I have gold. You have sand. It's much. We're both, we're both of the earth. Um, 
I, uh, the, the way I do it, and now I'm, I'm going to steal all your guys' ideas because they sound better, but I, I try to create a character <laughs> who, have, who has a foil. Like, as soon as I have a foil, then I know that character better. Like, if he doesn't have or she doesn't have someone who's, like, what I think is contrasting to them, then I don't really, it's hard, it's hard for them to jump off the page. Well, it's not, shouldn't, not hard, but it's easier. So, like, when I was writing, when I started writing this character, um, and she's kind of fade. She was originally not going to be part of the book at all. She's kind of enchanting and unpredictable, and you don't know if she's going to, hurt or you know do something anyway so uh i have now this character named odorin who's very like you know the small town thief who like you know is has no morals and no scrupulous nature and but he's like enamored with her um and so just by writing them in the first like page or two i was like oh i know who Faye is just because i know who i know how odorin acts with her and so finding if you could find like a distinct character trait of your new character and then find someone who has the opposite of that if they're really noble then find someone kind of vile if they're really you know like uh thieving then find so yeah so all these kind of contrasting things that actually that helps a lot so hey i learned something <laughs> good yay <laughs> yay, yay. Complete. yeah <laughs> so we're just about to wrap up so why don't each of you tell our listeners where to find you so you can find me um uh ronan uh www.matt-wolf.com uh instagram wolf underscore writer uh i don't know you just type in matthew wolf ronan saga you'll you'll find it on amazon and all that stuff um i'm pretty i'm like you know i'm pretty good responding to so if anyone wants to reach out and send me a, a message via any of those things uh that'd be great and now um we got some uh got book four almost out and book five on the way um, you can find me, uh, mostly on Instagram. It's Liz Karen and I'm on Twitter as well. It's Liz underscore Karen. It's a very long story. I lost my first Twitter name and now it has an underscore. Um, maybe one day I'll get it back. And, you know, obviously Google Liz Karen, the Phantom Forest. There's, you know, all the buy links, Goodreads, et cetera. And the exciting thing I'm doing is, um, until I have a release date for the Phantom Forest sequel, I'm releasing chapters of it monthly on my Patreon. So if you go to my Instagram, there is a link to my Patreon on my profile as well. Highly, highly support Patreon. That is awesome. I, I love it. That's cool. Uh, you can find all of my stuff at tahanielson.com. T-A-H-A-N-I-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. Or if you type F-A-O-I-I, Fai is the name of the series that I wrote, anywhere, anywhere at all, everything that shows up will be my stuff. So that's one benefit of creating your own language, I guess. And <laughs> I'm available all over the place. And anywhere you contact me, I will find a way to talk to you back. Um, you can find me at katherineforrester.com. I'm also frequently on Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter handle is at Kat Forrester and Catherine Forrester is my Instagram and I have a Facebook author page as well. That's I believe Catherine Forrester author is what it's called. <laughs> I should know these things. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. Or Google. I, I discovered that when I Googled myself actually today for the first time in a long time, all my stuff comes up, so you can find me as Isn't... an author on Google. Yay! Yay! Isn't that great? Like when Google knows you're an author, it says, you know, yes. Catherine Forster, Liz Karen, author. I asked, and I'm like, thank you. I, know. I asked my Alexa the other day, who is Tahani Nelson, and she knew me, and I was like, oh my gosh, Alexa knows who I am. You have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you all for being here. This was super fun. And listeners will see everyone next time.